We are in Acts chapter 12, and we're going to see some warfare breaking out. How many of you know we're in a war right now? We've seen Peter and John arrested and released and right back out into the courtyards. We've seen people try to lie to Peter and they die. And there's fear that grips the Jerusalem church. We, we see Simon who wants to buy some of that anointing that fell upon the Samaritans and Peter rebukes him. There's an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. People are getting saved, all of Jerusalem, but persecution comes. So then all the church spreads out and we saw even the persecutor Saul get saved. This is awesome. And what God is doing is infiltrating the world and the nations. And Peter sees that what God calls clean, don't you call unclean. And Cornelius, the Gentiles are getting saved and filled with the Spirit. It's really exciting. And God is multiplying the church. And the church at Antioch becomes the sending church and moves out and calls Saul and Barnabas as a team together. And they bring John Mark and they're ready to collect funds for the poor in Jerusalem and begin to be released for the work of God. And that's so exciting. But all of a sudden, there's trauma. There's trauma. Back in Jerusalem, at the root of the apostolic tree, of the pillars of the church, the authority of the twelve, James the son of Zebedee, the brother of John, the the one who was of the three who went up to the Mount of Transfiguration, the, the one part of the three inner circle of Jesus is killed. How can this be? Why would God let this happen? This is the 12. This is the government of God. These are the authorities who are to uphold the doctrines of Christ so that the church as it gets saved will follow the right testimony of Jesus. How could God let James, maybe James the less, son of Alphaeus, maybe Matthew that tax collector, maybe maybe one of the other ones that you don't even hear about, but James... How could God let this happen? I thought according to Scripture, He's going to protect us no matter what. Why, He will not even let us stumble over a rock. His angels are assigned to protect us. What's going on? How is it that God allowed one of the twelve in the prime season of the church when they are needed most to be beheaded? Couldn't He have stopped Herod? Couldn't he have gone into that jail cell like he did with Peter one other time? Couldn't he have done something? Why did he refuse to? Why did he let James die? I mean, bad things aren't supposed to happen to Christians. Why, we've got promises to stand on. We're supposed to live to a ripe old age. Nothing's supposed to harm me. I'll pick up serpents, I'll drink deadly poison. I guess it doesn't work with swords. What's going on? This is enough to rock somebody's world. Has anybody ever experienced this? Has anybody lost someone that you felt should have been healed, delivered 
Someone who was supposed to be secured in all the promises that we have? How many of you have been there with that kind of a tragedy? Do you imagine John? Or were these men so filled and holy by the Spirit of God, they said, oh, praise God, that's just James. We'll go meet him soon. I would have to believe that this caused some kind of turmoil. Because it's not, you know, Cornelius and one of his guys from his Italian group. This is James. James, John, Peter. This is James. Herod, that fox. That's what Jesus called him. He did it. He did it. Now, I think he's as surprised as anyone else that there was no repercussion on him. People lose their faith over these things. They count on God, count on God, count on the promises. They quote them, they read the scriptures, and then tragedy happens. And it rocks people's world. I'm trying to help us grasp what is taking place here. Herod laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. I would imagine, he says some who belonged to the church, I would imagine not just James got cut with the sword and beheaded, but probably others we don't know the names of. But Christians aren't supposed to die. But yet, that's what we, we, we confess, that's what we trust, that's what we believe, but throughout church history, Christians have been killed routinely. Why doesn't God intervene? Why does God intervene? How many of you have heard great missionary testimonies? God rescuing people out of the lion's mouth. God saving others. But nobody stands up in church and said, I lost my entire family because the group of people came and burned my house down and all my family in it. We don't testify to that. <laughs> don't want to testify to that. But it happens every day. Christians die. Christians are persecuted. Christians are, are hurt. But God sees death so differently than we do. He sees it so differently than we do. It's, it's not a loss. It's a gain. So we've got to wrap our arms around, our minds around this thing. James and, and Herod killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews in the city, he proceeded to arrest Peter. Okay. Okay. Remember, they were afraid of these Christians. Because Ananias and Sapphira died. Uh-oh. But it got turned, didn't it? Tertullian once said that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. It seems when persecution comes and you try to wipe out the church, it grows. It grows. So he's going to arrest Peter and he puts Peter in jail. So this is the days of Passover, but 
he's not, he can't do anything right now because of the Passover feast. It was the unleavened bread. He puts him in jail. They seize him. And uh, they delivered him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after Passover to bring him out to the people and I would imagine kill him. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God. By whom? The church. That should be our go-to. We go to the heavenlies. We go to the throne of God. So then, John and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus, start making protest signs and posters, and they go out in front of the palace where Herod is, and they began stirring the crowds up and chanting in protest and fighting against Herod politically. They begin to throw tomatoes at the Roman soldiers, and they begin to incite riots and begin to cry out for the injustice that's going on. I guess they didn't do that, did they? You'd want to. Well, in America, we do because we have a democracy and we believe that if we can speak enough and rally enough, we can change the laws. But you still can't change the laws till they're changed by law. This isn't a civics class. This is a church. But how many are geared as Americans to do the protest signs instead of going to the throne of God. The church today, more than ever, should be on its face before God. We should be crying out to God for the injustices. We, be, we should be holding prayer meetings to uh, break all this. We should be uh, seeking the face of God as to what's going on. And Lord Jesus, do something from heaven. Be the high priest. Call it out. But the church is splintered. We're divided among ourselves as vacciners or anti-vacciners, as Republicans, as Democrats, as uh, you name it, the, the divisions, the environment, pro-environment, anti-environment, the climate, this, that. The, oh, you don't know, Pastor. I've watched enough videos to tell you what I really believe. I understand all that, and there is a mess out there, and there's misinformation, and there's lies and everything. I'm not disputing any of that, and to have a position is essential, but we should be storming heaven. We've got to be praying, and this is why the church began to respond to persecution, the church immediately prayed for a decision. I think it happened too quick with James. They didn't know it. They didn't expect it. And Herod got in and killed him. And they didn't know that this took place until it already was done. But now he's got Peter. Let's get on our knees. Let's not have Peter get killed. So they begin to pray. Peter was kept in prison, but the church earnestly prayed to God for him. Now there's an adjective put to the prayer here. What is it? 
earnestly. What does it say about a righteous man? The prayers of a righteous man. The fervent prayers. The earnest prayers avails much. So they're earnest about it because they don't want to lose Peter. They want to know what's going on. Now, when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him saying, get up quickly. (laughs) He didn't tap him. He didn't whisper Peter, psst, Peter, shh, shh, Peter, psst, psst. He smacked him. Hey, get up. Now, there's a few things to observe here. The night before you're supposed to be put to death, Peter's sawing logs. Now, I've never experienced persecution like so many Christians have, but I have been arrested in a foreign land, and I have been through interrogation in China, and I was told I was going to be interrogated the next day. Do you think I slept that night? I did not sleep, because I've heard all the stories of what they would do to believers. The only thing I had going for me besides Jesus Christ, (laughs) was I was an American and I didn't know about their diplomacy. They wouldn't treat me that way. But the problem was nobody knew where we were in China. We went undercover. So they could have got rid of us. So in in some ways, I, I relate to this because I could not sleep. I prayed nonstop. Oh God, what am I gonna do? thinking of each of my children, thinking of my wife, thinking of coming back. Oh God, what's going to happen? Not Peter. He's sleeping soundly. Can anyone tell me why he would have such confidence? Now, wait a minute before you jump out with your Sunday school answer. His best pal, James, was just killed. Okay? So why didn't Peter believe this was his end? Prophecy. The power of a prophetic word. At the beach. John 21. Do you love me? Right? Yeah, I asked him three times. Do you love me, Peter? Do you agape me, Peter? Yes, I like you, Jesus. Peter responds, filio. Different word. I like you a lot. Because he's still feeling the guilt and shame of betraying him. Do you agape me, Peter? Yeah, I feel you. you. I feel you. (laughs) (laughs) Feed my sheep. Third time he says this. Do you feel me? Jesus lowers the level of love. Do you feel me? And Peter says with frustration, You know everything. I think Peter can't 
I, I, I would be afraid to say, yes, I love you, and Jesus say, yeah, well, then why'd you betray me? <laughs> so it's like, I, I don't know the answer. And that's when he prophesies over Peter. And he says, when you are old, Peter wasn't old yet. Hang on to the words that God speaks over your life. Hang over, hang, hang over, hang on to the prophecies, to the words of the Lord, to those unctions that God gives us. Some of you have been given prophetic words and you say, ah, it hasn't happened. You ain't dead yet. Hold on. Peter knew he would be old and someone would dress him and care for him and take him and Jesus alludes to the type of death he would be and this wasn't it. Now I would like, you know, a little quicker response from Jesus. Why the night before? You know, couldn't we like a couple days earlier? I don't know what's going to happen but God's going to do something. The angel comes and says, get up. Dress yourselves and put on your sandals. If it were me, I'd just run. If I was naked, I wouldn't care. I'm out of here. Take your time. Put your shoes on. And get dressed. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. But here's the thing. Peter did not know if, he was, if what was being done by the angel was real or if he was having a vision while he's sleeping, while he's there. And he's having a, a, he's dreaming this thing. Is this for real or not? And he, the shackles fall off his hands. The two guards between him don't wake up. He gets up. The, the, the guards guarding the door, he, it opens and he walks right out. And he's kind of like, I don't know. And he's walking down the street. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them on its own accord, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel's gone. Boop. How'd you like to be standing in the middle of the street? When Peter came to himself. What's that? What do you think that is? Yeah, you're, you're like disoriented. What? What just happened? Is this real or is this fake? I'm not in jail. I... You know, no matter how many times you have seen the miraculous or been used in the miraculous or heard of amazing things, when God does something... We're always still amazed. You know, we get on people when, when we've been praying for something and God answers it and everyone's like, oh my gosh, this is awesome! And we go, oh, you should have had faith. It shouldn't surprise you. You know what? When God does the supernatural, it's just always awesome. We're so used to the natural. And he comes to himself and he goes, oh my gosh, now I know that the Lord had sent an angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. 
Verse 12, when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John Mark, that's the nephew of of Barnabas, so Barnabas is Mary's brother, you see the connection, family connections, whose other name was Mark, where uh, where many were gathered and that's where they were praying. Must have been days of prayer. When he knocked on the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter's standing in the gate. That's comedy. That's just comedy. Oh, oh my gosh! And runs. Imagine being Peter. It's like, open the door. Now here's the reply that they get. They said to her, you're out of your mind. (laughs) What were they praying for? When they get news of his release? You're crazy. That can't happen. We We have ideas of how God's supposed to make it happen, don't we? We, in fact, many times tell him what he should do. You know, tomorrow, oh God, let the chains be broken off. Let the sword miss and fall out of the guy's hands. Oh God, give Peter swiftness to run away from you. Oh God, give us the boldness to attack all the army and we'll fight. And God's got a whole different strategy. Because we would say, well, if we were in the Spirit, I'm not saying you'd say this, CJ, but I'm just saying, it, we, we would say, oh no, God would have told some of us, God would have. See, what I'm trying to get across to you in Acts chapter 12 is, how come nobody told James that he was going to be killed by a sword? How come the Holy Spirit didn't say to James, don't go over there? We all want, pat, we want definite answers. We all expect from the Holy Spirit Constant directives, decisions. We read the great stories of people who have been told, go here, don't go here. And that does happen. But not all the time. We're faced with challenges in our faith over and over again. Don't forget who these people are in that room. That's Mary's room, which happens to be where they celebrated Pentecost, which happens to be the room of Pentecost, where all these people had tongues of fire coming out over their heads and all speaking in the power of the Holy Spirit. The same group that met every day, that met in the, in the temple and saw miracle after miracle after miracle happen. It's not a bunch of novices. And they're praying. And And they're shocked. Is that bad? I don't think so. Because God did it whether they had enough faith or not. See, that's how we usually explain if our beloved dies or if something didn't work out the way we worked out. we got to find where's the weak link. Which one of you didn't have enough faith? It's your fault. It's your fault. And how many of us feel that way? You don't know how many times I've been in in hospital rooms, in emergency wards, praying for people to live, praying for people to rise from the dead. Uh, 
In my second year of being a pastor, uh, a little five-year-old boy drowned in a pool. God, I wept over him and I laid hands. Oh God, please, please raise him from the dead. And how many times I walk away thinking, I'm so useless. I don't have enough faith. Why do you use me? You should have got somebody else. How many of you feel this way? Do you know what I'm talking about? You feel like the weak link in the prayer meeting. Is any, can anybody relate to this? But here's the key. And you've got to remember this in Scripture. You see it in the Gospels over and over. Even when Jesus rebuked them of little faith, He still performed the miracle. And even if that upper room people weren't expecting Peter to be knocking at the door, Jesus still did it, didn't he? He didn't survey the room and say, oh, okay, this side of the room, wavering too much, you doubt. Poor Peter. He's dead tomorrow. My church is just too weak. Is that how a high priest works? Isn't there one in that entire group that could have been praying ferociously? Just see what I'm just trying to I'm just trying to bring some sense of reality to it. So this is a crisis situation in Acts chapter 12. James, part of the inner circle of the 12, is killed. Peter's next. We call the prayer meeting. We're praying, we're seeking God. And God does rescue Peter. Because he's got a plan for Peter. And did it help that they were praying? Yeah. Yeah. But there's so many dimensions to all of this. Folks, don't give up your prayer life. And don't think that God couldn't do something because of your lack of faith. No. We've got to be so careful of that. And so it goes on and... They said, you're out of your mind. And she kept insisting, no, 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 it's, it's true, it's true, it's true. It is his angel, they said. But Peter continued knocking. <laughs> How long was he out there during this conversation? Hey, 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 let me in. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Still wise, right? They didn't go, Wahoo! Shout, shout, shout! Party, party, party! No, 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 no. We're still under persecution. So let me tell you what happened. Well, what do you mean, Peter? He got you out of prison. Why do we have to fear them anymore? We shouldn't fear anyone. We should just go out in the streets right now and start preaching. Would that be wise? No. There's such a give and take to this faith life, to this boldness and to all this. It has to be tempered by wisdom as the Lord directs. So, but motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he told them how they, he was brought out of prison. These things to James and to the brothers. He said, tell these things to James and the brothers. This is the James who is the brother of Jesus. This is a different James. This is the James who was the brother of Jesus, half-brother, right? 
uh, uh, Joseph was his father. <laughs> God was Jesus' father. Same mother. Uh, but James is the leader of the Jerusalem church. He says, so go tell them. Then he departed and went to another place. Now when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. That's another way of saying they went crazy. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he, he examined the sentries in order that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent some time there. Let me just hold on here a minute. God moved to save Peter. Gets a little prickly here. Which caused what to happen to the soldiers? Didn't God care about the soldiers? Did he? How can you say that? Prove to me that God cared about those soldiers. He saved Peter. He didn't care them soldiers were going to die. What evidence do you have that God cared about those soldiers? Christ died. For those soldiers? Yeah. For everyone, didn't he? He demonstrated his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Could those soldiers, hearing the gospel being preached in their city day after day after day, having Peter shackled to them, I would imagine Peter had a lot to share with those boys. Could they have been saved? Could they have come to Christ? We don't know if they did or didn't. They may have totally rejected it, but... Christ did die for them, right? Someday we'll know. Okay, let's figure out what happened to Herod. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him. He was having political problems with other cities. They came with one accord. They're going to have a council here. Being persuaded, Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes and took his seat upon the throne and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, It's the voice of God, not a man. Immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. Ugh. Now, what do you think happened? I mean, this would make a great horror movie, right? Like he died. Oh, and he fell. And all of a sudden, worms from everywhere start going. Herod in his pride. Herod was a half-breed. Herod was not fully Roman. Herod was of the family who understood Judaism and knew the law and knew Yahweh and knew God. But he, he put on his royal robes and crowned and they called him a god. And he said, yeah, baby, that's right. And so his pride struck him down. God said, enough. So an angel kills him. He dies. Says he, uh, history says he fell off the platform and his bowels split open and that's where all the worms were. So the problem was there a while ago. It was, it, he was dying of some kind of cancer, some kind of something going on inside him already. And God called and said, that's it, pull the plug. He's done. Why would Luke write this? Why would he put that part of the story in after Herod tried to kill Peter and it didn't happen? But what was his intention in telling this story? Show the justice of God. Justice of God. And then the justice of God follows through. Because the next verse 24 says this, the word of God continued to spread and 
flourish. So God's justice, so I don't care how great the ruler is, could be the president, could be the Caesar, could be the, the ruler, whatever, God will have his justice. But why didn't he do it sooner than Herod killing James? Again, you can't have an answer to all these things. We all want it to fit in a box neatly. And it doesn't. I'm here to tell you it doesn't. But God has His ways. And we have to stay strong. We have to believe through the ups and downs, through the losses of loved ones, through the, the, the things that happen to good people and believers, and even to those who pray and get answers and don't get answers, God is still Lord of all. You've got to hold on. God will have His way. Now, I want to spend the last few minutes bringing this story to life for you. Because some of you might be in this place. And we're going to take a look at where Peter was. Peter was shackled in his wrists. He was put between two guards... And there were guards placed at the entryway. So I want to ask you these questions. First of all, why would you put guards at the front gates? Say it again, Laura. No one can come in. No one human could come in. Right? That's why you got guards at the gate. A gate opens both ways, in and out. What's the other reason you have them there? So that no one can get out, all right? I don't know if some of you feel that the entryways of blessings, of activity with God are blocked for you. Some of you might feel like the enemy has positioned themselves at the gates of my life. Other people get blessed. It seems blocked. I can't get out of my situation and I can't get a help out of my situation. It's blocked at the gate. Some of you might feel even further that there were guards on either side of Peter. He was literally hemmed in. His body was hemmed in. Okay, His circumstances were right there. So some of you are feeling like spiritually you're blocked at the entranceway, the the giving and the receiving of God. Some of you feel that your situation you're sitting in is blocked and and your situation can't change because you got two big old things right here. And then thirdly, his hands were shackled. That's in him. That's on him. That's not an external problem with his situation on either side or the coming and going of blessing or not. But in his own person, he's shackled. Whether it's in his mind or physically, some of you feel shackled. But what I'm here to tell you tonight is that God bypassed every one of those. He bypassed every one of those. 
He didn't, take, didn't need Rambo to come in and, and shoot the guards and someone to do this and find a key or for him to be MacGyver and get a paper clip and undo it. God did it in an impossible way. And Peter didn't even know to pray for this. And certainly the people praying for him had no idea what to pray for. Does anybody relate to this? Do you know what I'm talking about? People are praying for, yeah, we're praying for you. Yeah, sure. We're praying you get healed. And they mean it. But they don't know how to heal and what's going on. I'm not trying to diminish your faith. I'm trying to help you understand God will do it despite your faith and the faith of others. God has a plan for you. God can get into any situation that seems blocked, that seems crowding you, that seems that you're locked in your mind and in your person to get out. God can get you out. God will have His way in your life. So I'm going to go one by one to break these. So the first one that I want to pray for. I'm not going to ask you to stand this time. I want you to just in privacy feel this. I want to pray for those who feel handcuffed in their being. Restricted in their mind or thought or heart. You feel that you are a prisoner. You're bound in your person. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Based on what we've read tonight in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. With Your powerful name, O God, the name above all names, through the name of Jesus, every promise is yes. I pray that the shackles on people's minds and hearts, God, would be broken right now. That, Lord, there would be a holy visitation that the Holy Spirit of God, or whether You send angels whether it is the light of God's Word, whatever the key is, unlock the shackles on our mind, the shackles of our emotion, the shackles in our soul, the shackles over our physical bodies. God, we need You. Oh, loose them, Lord God, that You will no longer be bound. Oh, thank You, God. All right, you're already unshackled. Be set free. Be set free. Uh, some of you don't know that illustration. I want you to look at me for a second because it's a powerful illustration. When animals from the wild are brought into captivity, they put a stake in the ground and a chain around one foot. And that elephant can walk, but he can only go so far. And he'll always walk, and he'll always go as that, the distance of that thing. And what happens is that elephant grows it gets into a rhythm or a pattern of captivity. How many of you have ever seen elephants at the zoo do this? They'll just rock back and forth. They can be free from that shackle, but what got ingrained in them? Captivity. Yet they're free. And so that's the illustration. Let's not keep walking as if we're shackled. So Father, release them. Give us the strength, give us the help, give us the effort. Send people alongside of us, O oh God. Peter had an angel to follow. God, bring a messenger, bring people that will walk with us 
to freedom. We seal that prayer in the name and in the blood of Jesus and pray for it to take place right now in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Now I want to pray for those of you who have circumstances that you are in. To your right and to your left, the pressures of life, maybe your job, maybe your marriage, I don't know, maybe things with family or friends, maybe finance is on the right and left squeezing you, bills, maybe it's outside of your control and they are pressing on you. I want to pray for that, okay? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, to the right and left of Peter were guards guarding that he would not move, nor would he escape. The pressure is on. And there are some here tonight that feel that pressure. They don't have a solution. They don't have an answer. They don't know where it's going to come from. And Lord God, they are being hemmed in by their circumstances. But oh God, you can put a sleep on that thing. You can put them to rest. You can cause them, Lord God, to not be aware and to not follow through with their jobs. I cancel the assignments of the enemy. I cancel the assignment of debt. I cancel the assignment of poverty. I cancel the assignment of betrayal. I cancel the aggravation and assault from other people. I cancel those assignments in Jesus' name and we command every demonic spirit to be broken off of those assignments now. In Jesus' name. Now the third aspect are the gates. The gates blocked to receive blessing Heaven seems like brass. The ability to love others seems to be stifled in you. You can't go and nothing's coming to you. I want to break that off. I want to break that off. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I speak against the gatekeepers that are blocking the flow of blessing from the Lord. Blocking relationship blocking fellowship with other believers, blocking the promises of God in our mindsets or, or, or whatever has been set there. That is not your destiny. As Jesus spoke over Peter's life, this situation he was in was not his destiny. The situation you're in right now is not your destiny. God has greater plans for you. God has deeper purposes for your life. God has life for you and life abundantly. God is not trying to choke you off. God is not trying to squeeze any help from getting to you. God wants the gates open. Open ye gates. Open ye gates and let the King of glory come in. Father, I command these blocking spirits to be cut down right now like Samson picked up the city gates and threw them aside. God, right now, ram those gates. Open up the freedom for everyone in this place to know their destiny, to receive their inheritance in life right now. Open up what is blocked and let the waters flow. 
God is not opposed to you. If there's anything resounding here tonight, it's the love of God for you. His plan and His purpose for you. And His love that's poured into your heart. Know this, that Jesus loves you with an everlasting love. Father, we thank You for tonight. We thank You for the Word of God that is real, that is alive, that is still applicable to our lives today. You've released the shackles. You've taken us out of the pressures from the right and left and led us right through the gates that were once blocked so that we may be the body of Christ and that we may know, Lord God, that you will prevail in every situation. And we will trust you with that. In Jesus' name, and everyone says, Amen. Amen.